Hey, are you or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. How are potential new clients finding you? Are they just doing a random Google search and hoping for the best? Let's get you in Divorce Magazine Canada. There are multiple ways that we can get you in front of a new audience. You might not think that your business applies directly to divorce or separation. However, the statistics tell us that 50% of people are experiencing divorce or separation and they're looking for your services while dealing with this difficult transition. So let's showcase you on the podcast as a sponsor and advertiser in the magazine and in our events. I would love to feature you and there's an early bird offer right now till the end of July with last year's pricing. Contact me and find out how we can get you in front of some new eyes. Ready? Here we go. Have you ever wondered what the word litigation means and how it relates to divorce? Well, today we join one of our divorce resource groups where we have a keynote speaker. And today, Carolyn Grogan will be sharing with us more information about litigation and how it applies to divorce and family law. If you're able to watch this video on our YouTube channel, you will be able to see all of her slides that she shows us with the information that she shares. There is a lot of information here. You will probably want to listen to this more than once. It's something that will clear up a lot of your questions around what litigation is. And we also have questions that are shared by the guests that were there in the meeting with us. So please listen and we'll meet her now. Welcome Carolyn to the show. So excited to have you here. Now I say show because we are going to be using this on the podcast. And we are though meeting in our meetup online divorce resource group. As our keynote speaker today, Carolyn is going to be telling us more about litigation. Welcome, Carolyn. Welcome, guests. And please introduce yourself. Tell us more about you. Well, thank you very much, Dina. I'm really happy to be here to talk to everybody and I'm looking forward to some interesting questions from from this group. Um, And I'm actually really glad to see that there is such a group because I think that support as you go through the divorce process is a really important thing for families. And uh, the more supports you have, I think the the easier the process becomes to manage and navigate. So so thanks for the opportunity. You're very um, welcome. Yeah. So I, I wanted to open things up with um, just a couple of questions. Uh, um, and Dina's got a poll. We do. We have a poll. Question set up so that you can take part in this. So my first question is, is this your understanding of the court system and divorce? Can everybody see that poll? The first picture is somebody that looks like they're having a lot of stress and a stack of papers beside them. So for anybody listening in on the audio, then uh, we're... We're wondering if that is your understanding of of the divorce system and uh, the legal system, the court system and divorce. Yeah. So so that was my first question. My next question is, uh, or is this your understanding of the legal system and divorce? And it pictures for people who are just listening, somebody laying on a couch and smiling and looking at their iPad. And that's Looking a whole very picture. relaxed, very <laughs> chill. <laughs> yes. 
I guess I wanted to ask these questions because uh, I, I think they kind of represent two extremes in 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 the divorce process and and the reality of divorce is that most people feel somewhere in between these two extremes. So somewhat stressed by the whole process and not quite chill about it either. <laughs> so we so. are getting some responses to the poll and oh good. Uh, right now for is your understanding of the court system and divorce being very stressful? We have a yes and a no. And the relaxed one is one, two for two is no, it does not feel relaxed. So that's the relaxed one is that nobody feels like it could be relaxed. And then are you currently, oh, I'm jumping ahead here. Okay. So then um, I just wanted to give you a, a picture of what uh, the divorce statistics are like in Canada. Um, and this comes from Statistics Canada for 2019 and 2020. So in, in 2019 and 2020, there were 907,000 civil court cases and family law falls under civil uh, court matters. And the family law cases accounted for approximately 30% of those 900,000 cases. So about 272,100 family cases in the court systems in Canada. Um, divorce cases make up almost half of the total active family law cases. Um, and that just means people who are seeking just divorce. Uh, most family cases are uncontested, about 75% of them. 48% of those were divorce cases, so mostly just requesting a divorce. And then the majority of applicants in family law cases are self-represented. I'm not sure how much you know about self-represented uh, or self-representing uh, through a family law matter or having a lawyer, but... 58% of people are representing themselves through family law cases in court, and 42% um, have other assistance, either a private lawyer that they've hired or a legal aid lawyer or, or some other person that is helping them. I'm surprised at that stat, Carolyn, that it's that high for self-representation. It's been increasing steadily since 2014. So um, while the number of family law cases have uh, gone down somewhat um, in each year in the last number of years, the, the number of self-represented people is, is increasing. And I think that largely has to do with the cost associated with, you know, having a lawyer represent you in court. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but there are statistics and then there's, the reality and getting divorced isn't just about getting divorced, is it? So in fact, um, you can't actually get divorced if you have children and you haven't demonstrated adequate plans for parenting and child support in your divorce application. Um, and then there are all those other issues to look at as well, such as decision-making, spousal support, property division, child protection and emergency protection orders, parentage, guardianship, enforcement, adoption, those all fall under the, the family law banner. Um, and because people are dealing with so many issues when they're getting divorced, the process can take a long time and it can create a lot of stress. And if you're paying legal fees, it can cost you a lot of money. Um, and the more you understand about the, the divorce and the legal system, I think the better you'll be able to navigate it and complete the process as efficiently and inexpensively as, as you can. I think that's an important point to make. And, and that's part of what we're trying to do by offering these different resources. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's really good to see these things popping up. Um, so, um, so that was just a, a kind of general introduction. I'll give you a bit more of an introduction to me. Um, my name is Carolyn Grogan. I'm the managing partner at Insight Law LLP, which is a small firm in Edmonton, actually. Um, and we deal primarily with family law, um, but also real estate 
the state litigation and civil litigation. Um, but basically, I like to think that we're, we serve families. So, so all of these areas of law um, intersect with families. So that's our area of specialty. I'm also a registered collaborative family lawyer and a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, as well as uh, the Collaborative Divorce Alberta Association. I'm a practicing mediator and a member of Fa Family Mediation Canada and the Alberta Family Mediation Society. And while I'm um, committed to helping families resolve their issues without going to court if possible, I'm also equally aware that <clears throat> some families need the courts to help them resolve their issues. So I have a pretty active family litigation practice as well. So in the short time that we have today, I thought it would be good to give you an overview of the various ways that you can get a divorce. Uh, that will provide you with some context. And then we'll focus on litigation as, as one of those options. That sounds good. I'm going to drop in here to a disclaimer that <laughs> this is offered and intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. Mm -hmm. And the contents aren't to be used as factual until consulting. I mean, it's I'm not saying it's not factual, but until specifically to yourself, until you do find consultation with the, any professionals for personal guidance on uh, this information. Uh, yeah. We don't constitute endorsements for nor liability of any claims made in the presenting of this. So there's our legal, our legal speak. <laughs> That's right. And it's really a good point to make because as lawyers, uh, we often draw the distinction between providing legal information versus mm -hmm. providing legal advice. And so what I'm not doing today is providing any legal advice. This is just information for your benefit that you can use in, in whatever way you want, but it's not intended for you to, you know, take as gospel and relevant to your situation. So, <clears throat> um, so, so one of the first options you have for getting a divorce is the do-it-yourself option, which is not to be confused with representing yourself in court. Um, this option is used only when you and your ex are resolving your issues amicably and you have the ability to file your own divorce document. Kitchen table agreements can be effective if you both adequately understand what issues need to be addressed and you can fill out and file your own divorce forms, which are usually available for free on your provincial court websites. Um, I don't recommend this approach if your issues are really complicated and you're dealing with an ex who's controlling, manipulative, abusive, or violent. <clears throat> Excuse me. Other non-court options <clears throat> Excuse me. are the ones that I have listed here. You can get a separation agreement and then um, uh, have the uh, divorce filings done. So a separation agreement, if you want it to be legally binding, it's usually something that you need a lawyer to draft for you and then um, a separate lawyer to, for, well, the lawyer, one lawyer will draft it usually and provide legal advice to one of the parties. And then another lawyer will review it and provide legal advice to the other party. So um, it's the, independent legal advice for each party that makes in part separation agreements legally binding. So um, if you just download one of those templated separation agreements and both sign it off the internet, um, it is a contract of sorts, but whether or not um, it will hold up in court is another question. So without that legal advice from a lawyer, um, you know, a court, if anything were contested down the road, a court may say, well, they didn't understand the nature of what they were signing, so I can't hold them to it because they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, so that's an important consideration um, if you're looking at, um, you know, downloadable agreements off the Internet. The other thing to be wary of about those is making sure you have the right jurisdiction. So um, there are different um, rules in each province. Um, and then uh, if, once you have the separation agreement, usually it, it, it forms the basis for the filing uh, for your divorce. And you can fill out um, divorce forms yourself, or you can have 
one of the lawyers who helped you with the separation agreement um, draft those divorce forms and, and send them in uh, for you. So um, that's one option. You can, if you have issues that that you can't resolve between the two of you, then uh, mediation becomes an option. So you can both hire um, a mediator who is a neutral third party. So you, so the mediator doesn't represent one or the other of you. you so you still need lawyers, uh, each of you to um, review any kind of mediated agreement that you might reach. But the mediator, uh, him or herself, will um, uh, will help you come to some kind of resolution and then draft often what's called um, a memorandum of agreement that, that gets sent to uh, one of your lawyers to draft an actual separation agreement and then provide independent legal advice. Uh, that's the process that's recommended by um, Family Mediation Canada and other mediation associations. So, so that's another option. Uh, another option is, is mediation arbitration, um, which is like mediation, very much like mediation. But if, if your discussions don't lead to any kind of resolution, then the mediation arbitration um, shifts to the arbitration side and the person that you've hired then is in a position to make a decision about what should happen. So if you say, you know, um, say your issue is I want um, one of you wants uh, the children uh, on a shared parenting basis and the other wants the children on a primary care basis, then the arbitrator uh, would be in a position to make a decision about that at the end of the mediation if the mediation failed. So um, it's a it's it's a quasi judicial role that. Um, arbitrators can have. Um, so then um, the other option, and these are all out-of-court options, the other option is arbitration um, itself. So you may know that mediation won't work for you and you just need somebody to decide uh, the issue for you. So you can, you can hire an arbitrator who will act like a judge on your behalf. Um, there's legislation that um, arbitrators um, must follow, and they also often have a lot of training, and they're often also senior family law lawyers. Um, so there's some benefits to using an arbitrator. Uh, one of one of them, of course, is that you can basically bypass the court system and the long waiting periods you have in order to, you know, get a court decision, and have somebody review your issues, hear your arguments, and make a decision on your behalf, often, you know, within months of hiring them. So the the process is a lot shorter, and the quality of the decisions is, I think, you know, um, equal to what you would get in a court. Of course, you have to sh shop for an arbitrator that would suit both of you, that you both agree on, and then you have to pay them. Quite a bit. So uh, the next option that I have listed here is collaborative separation and/or divorce. So if you don't know anything about collaborative collaborative process, it involves the two of you agreeing um, to both hire registered collaborative family lawyers. So each of you has your own lawyer, and those lawyers are are registered, so they have training in the collaborative process, which is a process. A special, a special process that um, that they're both uh, committed to going through with you, um, and um, and then both of you agree that you will not go to court in order to resolve your dispute. Um, you have to sign a contract at the beginning of the process stating that, and then you go into the collaborative process with your lawyers who guide you through the steps that um, would be involved with addressing each of your issues. And then if those are all resolved, and the vast majority of time they are, um, then the lawyers will draft your divorce filings and send them off to the court to you know, um, complete the process. Uh, so, so whatever paperwork you have to create usually gets done within, within this process as well.
um, if uh, the collaborative process doesn't work or breaks down for some reason, then those lawyers that you've hired to do the collaborative process can no longer be your lawyers. They have to, you have to go and find somebody else. So it's a little added incentive for you to stay in the process if possible, because it's, it's very expensive to change lawyers. Uh, if you go from one lawyer to another, the new lawyer has to get all of the documents from, you know, the previous lawyer and get themselves up to speed and understand what's going on. And then um, that that is all, you know, chargeable time. So, um, uh, and I really, out of all of these, I personally like the collaborative process because um, each of you has um, an advocate in your corner. So it's somebody you can lean on and know and trust throughout the process. But you can also know that that person isn't going to go um, whole, uh, isn't going to be a, terribly aggressive against the other person. Because, I mean, obviously, it's supposed to be collaborative. So the two lawyers work together in order to um, uh, help you both resolve your differences. And they're frequently looking at your family circumstances and talking to each other and saying, well, well how can we help them solve you know, this, this next issue, it seems like it's a really big issue for them. So they'll have conversations like that frequently. This is totally unlike uh, a litigation process where lawyers are adversarial and they only talk to each other, you know, about um, what's going on in, in the litigation process. So, uh, so, so those are the, the primary um, non-court options. And, uh, I want to take you now to litigation and, and that as an option. Um, the, the first question um, that you might want to ask yourselves is, is, is litigation actually necessary for you? And how far along in the process are you and what things have you tried uh, so far? But um, some other considerations would be, you know, have you have you tried mediation or other court options and have they failed? Then, you know, litigation might be a reasonable next step. Um, are you and your ex too hostile to reach resolution? Um, that's, you know, uh, that's true of a lot of the clients that I see. Uh, they just can't seem to work together and and, um, and reach some kind of resolution. Um, is your ex refusing to disclose relevant information to you, such as, you know, their financial information, which you need in order to calculate child support or other support, um, among other things? Are there any power imbalances that exist between you such that you might feel like you can't speak up because there would be um, too much uh, blowback for you? Um, is there a history of abuse in your relationship? Are your children at risk? Are there mental health issues that intensify the conflict rather than uh, reduce it? So if you, if you answer yes to, um, you know, a lot of those questions or even some, some of them, then litigation might be a necessary step for you. So. But again, a consultation with a lawyer will help you sort that out. Another question that you need to ask if you're considering litigation is whether you're going to provincial court versus federal court. Um, each province has a federal court and, and um, in Alberta, it's called the uh, Court of Kings Bench. In Ontario, they have a, a superior court. In BC, it's called the Supreme Court. Those are all federal courts. So all of the judges in those courts are appointed by the federal government and paid for by the federal government. Uh, but the provincial court also has uh, and deals with a lot of family law issues. And they're usually dealt with under a, a family law act of some kind. And, and they're usually titled something very simple like family law act. Um, so you have to know which court you're going into. Um, not uh, in, in many provinces in, in Canada, we have what's called unified family courts. Um, and 
this is great because what it's done basically is take that question of whether you should go to provincial court or federal court away and said, we're bringing both courts together under a unified family court, and this is where family matters are going to be dealt with. So uh, in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland and Labrador, and PEI, um, you'll find unified family courts. In other provinces, you're going to have to decide whether provincial court or the federal court is the place to go. But one of the key things to know there is if you're getting an actual divorce, if you're married and you need to get divorced, the federal court deals with divorce. Um, so the Divorce Act is a federal piece of legislation and, um, and that's, that's where those uh, claims get dealt with. If you're not getting divorced and you just need to deal with something like support, child support, um, or, you know, uh, a minor property division or something like that, you can do it sometimes relatively uh, quickly in provincial court. But what you don't want to do is mix the two courts up. <laughs> so if you're going to get divorced, then it's probably best to start in the federal court and keep going from there. I'm going to interrupt here, Caroline. Mm -hmm. Your lawyer or your legal assistance, your legal guidance will make that decision. You're not going to have to, they're not going to sit you down at a desk and say, okay, which court do you want to go in? Correct? No, that's correct. Usually your lawyer will say, well, this is appropriate to bring to, you know, in Alberta, for instance, the uh, Court of King's Bench. And, and and there will be very little discussion about that because it's just known that that's the direction you should go. Great, thank you. Yeah. So um, this is the trajectory of uh, typical family law litigation. Uh, each of these stages are possible in a family law case. Um, and I'm just, I, I know you've got just listeners, so I'm going to read each of the stages here um, so that they know what this slide says. The first stage is docket court. The second stage is dispute resolution process. The third stage is a regular short hearing. The next stage is a longer hearing. The next stage is trial. The next is appeal. And then the next is applications to vary. So um, the vast majority of people don't go further than the longer hearing phase. Um, less than 5% of people ever go to a trial in a federal court. Regular hearings and longer hearings are the most common endpoint for most people who need a court to decide their issue. Um, and not, not every option in this list is a, is is available or suitable for every litigation matter. So, but these are the gamut of, of options. So it seems like a lot of steps to get to resolution, <laughs> especially if you're heading to a trial or an appeal. Um, and as you can imagine, the more steps you take, the more uh, this is going to cost you and the longer this is going to take. Um, but the process is typically in each province designed to get your issue resolved as soon as possible. It still might feel agonizingly long, but um, in the court size, they're doing as much as they can to help people resolve their issues as quickly as possible. For example, in Alberta, we have a mandatory dispute resolution rule that requires anyone pursuing litigation to first attend what's called an early intervention case conference. Um, once you've been booked for an early intervention case conference, you appear in front of a justice who will try to help you resolve your differences, much like a, a mediator would. And if the justice is successful, then they're in a position to make an immediate order about what it is that you've resolved. So, um, uh, so that's a real benefit of 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 entering into these dispute these. Uh, judge-led dispute resolution processes. 
If you're not successful in resolving your issues, then the, the justice will usually provide an opinion about what they think will happen if you proceed with your claim. And this is also very helpful so uh, because it provides guidance to you about whether what you're requesting stands a reasonable chance of being ordered in the end. Um, so, and, and it's, it's free except for, you know, the, the cost of your lawyer. Um, so unlike other mediation options, um, um, this is just part of the court process and one of the ways that the court tries to, to get you in, heard, and out of the process as, as, as expeditiously as possible. So, and uh, the dispute resolution process in Alberta is actually really very effective. So it, it's, it's designed to do, uh, to, to speed things up for people and it does it quite well. I don't know exactly what the um, success rate is. Uh, I haven't heard it for a few years, so I'm not sure where we stand yet, but it's quite high, like 70 or 80%. Um, so if you can get into, if you're in the court process and they give you that option, I would say take it because um, it's, whether you, whether you resolve it or not, there are benefits to be had. And, and there's some very, very useful and practical conflict resolution skills that you can pick up in these, uh, through that process that would apply yeah. to all areas of your life, whether it's parenting or, or work situations, to my yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah. And judges um, have really, uh, over the last 10 years or so, really turned their minds from, you know, um, this aggressive um, adversarial uh, approach in family law and said, this doesn't work in family law, at least not very well in most cases. So let's try and help people resolve their differences. So they've educated themselves about dispute resolution. They've taken a lot of training in dispute resolution and they're very helpful. And, and I find most often they're also very kind and, and considerate and will listen to, you know, what you have to say and um, really take uh, your concerns into account in, you know, in, in helping you reach a, a resolution or in helping you understand what might happen if, if you know, you have to proceed. Very encouraging. It's positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about docket court. Um, I don't believe docket court is something that, um, all provinces have, but if you do have it, it's basically a triage court. So nothing substantive ever happens in docket court. You just go there, you tell the court what it is you're seeking, and then the court says, okay, this would be the place that you should go next. Um, Sometimes they can make procedural orders, like if somebody hasn't or re is refusing to disclose their financial information, um, a court may say, you know, well, I'm going to make an order for that person to disclose their financial information. Um, or they will say, I'm going to make an order for, you know, uh, you to attend a, a case conference and develop a litigation plan or something like that. Um, but it's just procedural orders typically that they do in docket court. And one of the things they do in docket court is say, have you, um, have you attempted any dispute resolution process like mediation or collaborative divorce or, uh, the options that I, I told you about? And if the answer is no, then they'll say, well, we have either a mandatory or non-mandatory dis dispute resolution rule and you can, you know, you can go and talk to you know, a judge through an early intervention case conference, or there's often um, other programs that are available in different provinces that will help people reach resolution. So in Alberta, for example, we have um, a free mediation service offered by the Alberta government if your income is below a certain amount. Um, and there are also offered through the Alberta government um, child support resolution officers who will of charge to you, especially if it's court ordered, um, 
help you reach some resolution on what your child support payments should be and, and, and so forth. So it's really useful to try and understand what you know options are available to you um, in terms of dispute resolution because if you think you're heading into litigation, you're going to very quickly get um, told that, well, <laughs> you have to have tried dispute resolution anyways, so you might as well you know, understand it before you get that far. Um, if you have attended a, a dispute resolution process and um, it hasn't been successful, uh, then you, you may in docket court request leave of the court to attend um, a regular family law hearing, um, which is, uh, we call them regular chambers hearings in Alberta. They're just an appearance, short appearance in front of a court uh, that requires an application and an affidavit to be filed by an applicant and a response, the response affidavit to be filed by a respondent. Um, and each person has about 10 minutes to explain what they want. And then the court can say, um, they, they can say, okay, on an interim basis, usually without prejudice, I'm going to set child support at this because you can't make people wait months to figure out support issues or, you know, parenting issues. Um, so they may interim orders, that is orders that are just in place um, on a temporary basis until you can get to a longer hearing and a judge can actually go through all of your evidence and make a determination about what should be happening. So yeah, so you can uh, go to this regular hearing. Um, sometimes you go to regular hearings um, for other purposes um, to you know get information again, uh, financial information, or to sort out um, some procedural issues. But but typically you have to have filed an application, an affidavit, and uh, and had a response or a response affidavit filed. The judge who hears those uh, uh, applications in, in regular uh, chambers um, will have usually reviewed the application and affidavit prior to coming into the courtroom. Not always, but usually does. We'll ask the lawyer or the um, self-represented litigant what it is they're seeking, um, then ask for the response from the other party and make a, a decision about what needs to happen um, based on those submissions. And then you're you're off to the next stage. Um, typically, if you've gone to a regular hearing and an interim order has been given, um, this is not where most people want to stop because they the decision that a judge might make at this regular hearing is made on the basis of really not enough information. And they're very clear about that. They're very clear that this is interim. It shouldn't prejudice what happens next in the process. It's just so we can get something in place to deal with the most immediate issues. Um, and then, you know, you can go on to the longer hearing as needed. So most people go through this stage and then on to the next stage. Um, so the next stage, of course, is the longer hearing. Um, and these hearings are um, a few different kinds. You can have affidavit evidence only hearings. So um, typically uh, you have to make a, a, a lot of filings in these applications in order for the judge to have enough information um, to help you once you actually get to the hearing. So. The affidavit evidence is usually an, the application and affidavit is filed by the applicant. The respondent files um, a response. The applicant gets to respond to that response. And if there are cross applications, well, it just multiplies, you know, uh, uh, for each person. So, um, but then when you get to the hearing, um, the judge will have um, certainly reviewed all of the affidavit evidence that's been filed up to the point of the hearing. And then the lawyers or the uh, self-represented litigants are given a much longer period of time to address the evidence in their affidavits, make their arguments, and request of the court the 
um, remedy that they're seeking. So you can usually get uh, a one hour or a two hour hearing um, for these kinds of hearings. And um, each party would then get, you know, half of that time. And, uh, and then a judge would make a decision. Technically, the orders that come out of these kinds of hearings are interim orders as well. Um, but often, this is where it stops for a lot of people. Um, it costs a lot of money to get to a longer hearing like this. You can, you know, it can be anywhere between fifteen and thirty thousand uh, dollars. Sometimes, if you have um, a lawyer representing you through this, um, in part because you have to go through docket court, a regular hearing, and then this longer hearing um, in order to get to the longer hearing. But <clears throat> excuse me, it is quite expensive, and and most people are satisfied that they've had a chance to to put their case forward, they've been heard, and a decision's been made. Um, occasionally, these longer hearings are, are not just with affidavit evidence, but with oral testimony. Um, and so they sound kind of like a trial, but they're a bit of a mix um, because they've gotten the written evidence and the documentary evidence along with um, often it's the parties getting on the, the stand to be examined and cross-examined. Um, so less, less common than the affidavit evidence only hearings, but they do happen. And to jump in here on at these hearings, will your lawyer represent you without your attendance or is attendance uh, considered mandatory? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always tell clients they should come to these hearings. Well, they have to come to these hearings, basically, these longer hearings, not so much to the uh, short hearings or the docket court, but these hearings they want to be at. There's, there's no way that they want to be absent for a, for a hearing like this. Things come up. I often need to confer with, you know, my clients during the course of a hearing like this. The, the client would, um, also miss a lot of, you know, the dynamic of the courtroom, what the judge hears, what the judge says, what the other party is like. Those those would all be, you know, things that a client, I think, would, would want to hear. And, and then it just doesn't look very good um, to not, uh, you know, to a court for, for you to not appear on something that's, um, that's this important to you. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So after these longer hearings, um, there's also trials. And I, I, I guess I don't want to confuse you too much here, but you can go directly from the regular shorter hearing to a trial. It's not like you have to go to a, this uh, longer hearing with affidavit evidence only in order to get to a trial. You don't. Often you're making a choice between the two. So you can say, yeah, I want the longer hearing or no, I think I'm going to go to a trial. Um, so, um, if what I'm would, what would yeah. be the determining factors in general between, mm -hmm. to, to make that choice? Yeah. In general, um, I think that the, the affidavit evidence only is good if you don't have too much evidence, conflicting evidence. So if you've got a lot of, he said, she said, or uh, you know, conflicting evidence in other respects going on, then um, they're not always the best um, uh, platform for getting your message across simply because um, a judge is basically just going to read what's been presented, listen to a lawyer or the self-represented person, um, and then try to make a decision. Whereas in a trial, uh, a judge has a much uh, more significant opportunity to hear from each of the parties, understand what it is that they're saying because they're being examined and cross-examined on all of their evidence, um, and and make a determination about who's telling the truth and who isn't. Um, so. Uh, if you can imagine a really high conflict um, separation or divorce that's going through the court system, 
and each party is slinging mud at the other party or one party is, I, I have a lot of these cases where one party is really, really good at um, manipulating and, and, and lying their way through the court system. And, and, um, and there's, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that what they're saying isn't true, but you got to really dig into the details in order to get that evidence in front of the judge. So I feel like those circumstances aren't great for um, for the uh, affidavit evidence only hearings because um, you don't know how deep into the details a judge is going to go if they're just reading it. Right. In a trial, you're able to make sure that those bits of evidence that prove the other person is lying or not, you know, being as upfront as maybe they're pretending to be, are are put in front of the judge and the judge will see it and and be able to make, I think, a better determination um, on that basis. So so really high conflict separation and divorces. Um, I'm always asking is, you know, is a longer hearing better or a trial better? And I tend to lean towards trials just because of conflicting evidence. Um, so longer hearings also aren't great if um, credibility is an issue. Um, so and, and and credibility is often an issue in in high conflict uh, separations and divorces. And so um, trials are just better at getting at the truth in those cases, in my opinion. Um, so so trials. Uh, come with uh, final judgments. So after you spend however much time in, uh, in, a, in a trial, and they can be, you know, a half a day or one day or two weeks, it depends on the complexity of the issues that you're dealing with. But in the end, what you're going to get is a final judgment, which is a much more firm judgment. Um, one thing that, that happens in family law, because uh, often because there's children involved is that children grow and change over time. And so um, it can sometimes feel like, um, you know, litigation in family matters never ends because um, there's always something going on with the children. Um, either they're at a, you know, a different, they need to go to a different school or they have changing needs, whatever. And so you have to go back to court to address that. Uh, if you have a high conflict situation and you can't co-parent together very effectively. So, um, but you get a final judgment in, in a trial and, and what that means is not that you can't ever vary the judgment that's been rendered in your case, but that if you do want to vary it, you have to demonstrate what we call a material change of circumstances. So it can't just be, you know, um, uh, something simple. It has to be something that uh, significantly changes um, the ability of you to follow the judgment that was given. So let's say the judgment was that, you know, Joe has to pay Mary $5,000 a month in child support, and then Joe loses his job. So um, you know, if if he's lost his job for a long enough time, he's going to want to go to the court and say, I can't afford to make these payments. I don't have a job. I need some consideration for the fact that um, this judgment was made when I was employed. So, um, so that would be a material change in circumstance. But, you know, if Joe just didn't make the same kind of bonus that he usually makes, then <laughs> whether that was a significant or material change in circumstances is debatable, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so then obviously uh, appeals are part of the family law process. Um, you, can, uh, you can appeal interim orders at the longer hearings. Well, you can appeal an order at, at any stage of this process if an order is made, um, but really, Appeals are also very expensive, and you would want to carefully consider when and why you would appeal something. Um, if you're going to appeal something, you have to make sure that there's been, it's not just that, you know, you didn't think your case was heard well enough or the judge was being, you know, 
a little bit blind to to what you think the issues were, you have to demonstrate that that there was um, an error in law that, that that the judge made an error in applying the law to your circumstance, or that the judge materially misunderstood the evidence that was was presented. So um, so it's not a retry. You don't get to try it all over again and introduce new evidence and things like that. It's a, a, an appeal court looking at the decision that a judge made and saying, did the judge make um, uh, an appropriate decision given the information that they had? So um, that, that's that's the main question that they would consider. Um, so appeals are, you know, um, they don't happen very often, but they do happen. Um, and then, like I said earlier, sometimes you have to go back to court at various points in order to vary orders that are existing. And so um, that uh, that is an option that's open to you as well. And those would be different than appeals. Yes, they would just be an application to vary something. And what would the process timeline look like in, typically? So, so without, um, let's go back to oops, this trajectory we've, slide. We've got about seven minutes left, and we want to see yeah, if there's any questions for, too. Yeah. So applications to vary can take you right back to the beginning of this process. Oh, starting starting with docket court. So, um, if uh, you know, let's say Joe lost his job and he wants to go to court and ask the court to reduce the amount of child support that he has to pay, and also not just that, but he wants the court to put a stay on uh, the amount of child support he has to pay. So. Um, uh, so Joe can go back to court to do that, but he has to file a, a, an application, a notice to attend, you know, a docket court. Um, and then those issues start going through this whole system again. So that's basically, um, that's basically my presentation. And I did want to leave some time for uh, questions. Uh, that was really informative. I oh good. I know I've I've learned from it, and I, I really had no idea just the broad spectrum of of cases that would be uh, taken to litigation, and and the mm -hmm. the timeline and the expense and, and mm -hmm. a lot of that, and just that it isn't a typical route, and that you know the courts are really trying to help people stay out of these types of situations, if at all possible. Does anybody have questions that they would like to drop into the chat? Please do so. And we also could share the results of the poll. So we have, um, I'll go back to question. We have three little questions. So one is, is your understanding of, is this your understanding of the court system and divorce? And this was relating to a picture of a very stressed woman. And we have 67% uh, are saying, yes, stressful is how they understand the court system and divorce. And 33% are saying no. So that's positive that we have, you know, two thirds, or that there is a, there is a third that doesn't feel that it all is that stressful and negative. And then on the opposing question is how many feel that it's, it can just be more laid back and easier and it's the same it's the same uh, results so 33% say yes it, it can there is a it can be positive or not so much positive but less stressful and are you currently involved in active divorce litigation so again we've got two thirds that are actively involved right now and a third that are not actively involved at this time I think it's really important for people to understand that um, that their lawyer, if they have a lawyer during this process, is their support person. Like they're not they're they're an advocate for you, but also they're not there to stir up, you know, 
antagonisms between the two of you. They're there to advocate in the best way possible um, for what you need. And sometimes um, what you want and what you need are, are different things. You may want revenge, but your lawyer's not there to help you get revenge. Um, but what you need may be that, you know, um, it could be something as you have to sell the family home because you can't afford to live there anymore and you need a lawyer to help you with that. Um, so I, I feel that a lawyer should be able to help you reduce the stress somewhat and provide you with, um, you know, information about resources to help you address stress if you have a lot of stress in going through this. Um, and um, so, so I guess my my point is just that um, it's important to have a lawyer that works with you that you feel comfortable with. So if, if, if you're uneasy with who's representing you and what they're doing and saying, then it may be time to talk to somebody else who you feel better about. Um, that's always an option that, that people have. So I think that's so important to understand that that relationship is somebody who is advocating for you. We do have a, a relevant question that's come up. Can you make an application to vary or delay the proceedings until the other party has had a neuropsychological assessment to ensure that he understands what is happening and not just what his lawyer is telling him? Oh, I, I guess I would wonder if there's a capacity issue. Uh, uh, he, has a he has aphasia. Oh, okay. <laughs> so unfortunately, you can't force somebody to undergo an assessment. And as, uh, but what I can tell you is that as a lawyer, I have a, a, an ethical and professional responsibility to ensure that my clients have the capacity to understand what it is that they're going through. And if I have any doubts about that, then, um, then it's up to me to ensure that my client either goes through a capacity assessment or, you know, I find some way to ensure that that, that client understands, you know, what's going on. And I think on, on the person's, on the other, the other party is asking then, should they, can they make an application to vary or delay the proceedings until, you know, they feel like the representation for the other party is something that they are able to participate in? Um, again, um, it's, it's what you can't really do very well through the court system is force other people to do uh, what you would want them to do. So, um, so you know, because uh, I've had a number of clients, you know, tell me in the, uh, uh, in the past and even currently that, that their ex is thought like a personality disorder and they really want them to be assessed. Uh, and they want me to, you know, make an application to ensure that they get assessed. And I, my, my response is always, I, I can't force them to undergo an assessment. Um, their, their lawyer is responsible for them and the decisions that they're going to make. Um, and they will have, the, like the other party will have a conversation with their lawyer about what they think is best and how to proceed. Um, but, but you can't, you know, force that person to do it. Sometimes if I have concerns, I'll call the other lawyer and ask if there's, you know, anything we can do to ensure that the person has capacity or, you know, it depends on how obvious the issue is. And um, that's kind of what you're communicating then if you were to apply for a, a delay or, mm -hmm. or a change is you're basically stalling until they do have that. So I see uh, maybe where you're going with that. Now we are at one o'clock, we are at the hour. And mm -hmm. I want to thank everybody for being here. We really appreciate your time. We want to honor that time. But I'm willing to stay on and Caroline, are you as well if there are any further questions or comments? Mm -hmm. We've got one. Oh, we've got some thank yous. We so appreciate all of you being here. And uh, again, like I said, this will be put on the podcast and the YouTube channel in the future. So you can refer to that, see these slides again. This is a lot of information to digest. And especially if you are in a situation where, uh, you know, you're trying to, trying to deal with 
uh, separation or divorce. So thank you so much for your time, Carolyn. All of your contact information will be in the show notes. If you check the event on Meetup, how you came here and joined us uh, to the guests, you can find Carolyn's contact information there as well and reach out to her if you have more questions or you would like to work with her uh, towards uh, a better outcome. (laughs) Thank you again. We look forward to having you back again sometime, Carolyn. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.